Well, Happy New Year. Uh, welcome to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. I only say Happy New Year because yesterday officially being a holiday and today being the first full day of uh, uh, 2023 that we are broadcastable and everyone's back to work. So Happy New Year and welcome to another year and another great edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm going to kick things off with a devotional uh, that is something that, you know, we're, as we're making our New Year's resolutions, um, this is something we want to think about, not just from a physical standpoint, from a spiritual standpoint as well. Uh, let's get into my conversation with author Aaron Davis today on The Bottom Line. Well, let's take a look at a part of our relationship, especially as members of the body of Christ, that often gets overlooked, and that is something with regarding food. I mean, we see feasts in the Old Testament, we see fasting all throughout Scripture, and then we have a relationship with food, too, because, well, you know, we're people and we're human beings. <laughs> so the question I guess we're asking today is, is a, your relationship with food kind of a source of regret? Is it something that you're kind of maybe ashamed of or maybe frustrated? Or do you think that it's something about like a blessing? I mean, something that you would really uh, say, yeah, this is something that I've made peace with and this is working out. Erin Davis is a writer and she's a teacher and she's the author of more than a dozen books and Bible studies, including Connected and Beyond Bath Time and Seven Feasts. She also hosts the Deep Well podcast and the Grounded Videocast. And she's the author of a brand new book that is a good source of conversation for us today as we just set this thing up. The book is called Fasting and Feasting, 40 Devotions to Satisfy the Hungry Heart. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Aaron Davis, welcome to The Bottom Line Show. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm excited for this conversation. I am too. I, this, and, and ironically, <laughs> I was thinking of the words of Jesus saying, I have eagerly desired to have this Passover meal with you, but I think we're both mm. we're both very eager to get into it. That's one of the only times in Scripture where you'll ever see the Lord, you know, saying, I'm eager, or almost, you know, some yeah. translations, I'm anxious, which is something that the Word tells us, you know, to be anxious for nothing, but even Jesus had that passion about that Passover meal from a spiritual standpoint, but also from a food standpoint. What is it about food and the body of Christ? It seems like when you look at Christians and the way we care for ourselves or whatever, we're kind of all over the map. There are some people who are certain, yeah. kind of healthy and buff, and other people, you know, old pastor so-and-so is 100 pounds overweight, and no one cares because he's just such a great guy. Uh, what is it about, I mean, what is it about food that can make us, uh, you know, take our eye off the ball when it comes to what Scripture wants us to do with that? Yeah, if you really want to fall down the rabbit hole, it is pretty fascinating to study health in the body of Christ. Yeah. Statistically, we actually are faring worse than those who are outside of the body of Christ. Interesting. Especially, you mentioned pastors, especially our pastors, they have really high rates of obesity and heart disease. So what is going on? That's a really good question. There's probably a lot of threads we could pull on, but one thing I think we've decided, I don't know that we've thought it consciously, but... There's that verse where Paul says physical exercise is of some value, but spiritual exercise is of greater value. I think he was saying physical exercise is of some value, mm. but we kind of emphasize that differently. And we think, oh, I'm supposed to be doing like very spiritual things and I'm not supposed to be paying attention to my body or my health. I'm supposed to be reading the scriptures. And I just don't think that we have to decide it that way. God created our bodies. Mm -hmm. He created our need for food and he created our hearts and our mind. He created all of us. So I think we sort of set food and physical health aside as maybe unspiritual. And that's gotten a lot of us, me included, um, in a really unhealthy uh, our bodies aren't healthy because we're not eating the right things. We're not taking care of them. And that actually has repercussions mm -hmm. in our relationship with Jesus and with others. So I think we need to kind of go back to basics and go, uh, I'm not sure we've thought this through yeah. in ways that Scripture actually informs. Well, and that's the beautiful thing about your book, Feast, Fasting and Feasting, 
these 40 devotions to satisfy the hungry heart, because you look at passages that are about fasting, you look at passages that are about feasting, and then basically help us kind of retrain our brain, because you're right, I think we kind of go into those two, I, I call them gutters, kind of like if you were looking at a bowling alley, gutter on the left is, well, right. eat whatever you want to, no one cares as long as you're spiritual. On the other side, it's, hey, you know what, you've really got to pay attention to this, even to the point of, I don't have time for Bible study because I've got to train for a marathon. And we're trying to find a way to to say, wait, how did God intend for food to be used? How I mean, there are times when feasting is appropriate and times when fasting is appropriate. Talk about your own personal journey, Aaron, because obviously you've got a lot of passion for this. And as a Bible study teacher and leader, I mean, this is more than just a... Hey, you know what? We're going to start the year off here talking about health. And this is yep. this is much more deep than that. Yeah, it is deep, and we need to realize that. I mean, I, my relationship with food is probably like everybody's relationship with food. It's gone well sometimes. It's gone poorly sometimes. I've felt like it was an area where I understood God's best at times, and it was an area where I didn't understand God's best at mm-hmm. times. But I opened my Bible at some point after coming to a full health crisis and going, God, I don't get it. I know that you created food, but I, I don't understand. And those two rhythms, fasting and feasting, are throughout our entire Bibles. And I think that there's a lot we can learn. Fasting is this idea that we sometimes deny ourselves. It's the big idea of the Christian walk, that we take up our cross, and and we want to live these disciplined lives set apart for God. But there's also feasting, which is all throughout our Bible, which is as simple as, I think, realizing food is a gift from God. He He created my need for food, and He created the food to meet that need. There are 7,000 varieties of apples, just as a little aside. (laughs) I mean, God could could have created, you know, one variety of apples Mm -hmm. or just oatmeal. But already today, you've probably eaten some really yummy things, maybe had a great cup of coffee, and just acknowledging the goodness of God and all of that, I think, helps us shift to not rules. It becomes about stewardship. Mm -hmm. You know, God's given me one body, and He's given me these resources to feed that one body and these responsibilities I have to do with that body. So then it becomes about, okay, God, how can I steward what you've given me well? And that's actually created a profound shift in my life when I was looking for shifts in all other areas. I'm Mm going to eat this. I'm Mm -hmm. not going to eat that. But really trying to understand it as stewardship has been huge. I'm talking with Erin Davis today here on The Bottom Line. Her brand new book is called Fasting and Feasting, 40 Devotions to Satisfy the Hungry Heart. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. I'm really glad you mentioned that, Erin, because I have, like a lot of people during COVID, gone through that same type of up and down in terms of having it, not having it, putting on weight, taking yeah. off weight. You know, your, your whole rhythm and routines are all changing. And I think this is a perfect time for us to take a look at this whole issue and say, okay, what's going on? If I may pry a little bit, you mentioned a health crisis. I mean, help us understand what uh, what you were going through and how that impacted. Did you consider yourself to be a rather healthy person prior to said crisis? I did consider myself to be relatively healthy. I'm in my early 40s. I'm active. I've got, got four kids. Mm. I'm busy and going. Yeah. And then it was on the cusp of COVID that I found myself in kidney failure and right on the verge of heart failure. Oh, my. So I was really, really sick and didn't know it. And what I had to look in the eye and face was that I had never learned how to take care of myself. Mm-hmm. I just never prioritized it. And I had to realize that everything God has put on my plate to do, married, raised children, writer, Bible teacher, love my neighbor as myself, take care of my aging parents, lots of things. Mm -hmm. I do all those things from a body. 
And so I, <laughs> yeah. when my body is sick, I can't do all those other things. So I had to learn the basics, like you should walk every day, Aaron. You can't just stay at the computer all the time. Right. You really, it really does matter what you eat. Now, is it a sin for me to fill my body with junk? Uh, probably not. But I take us back to that word stewardship. Was I able to parent with joy when I felt terrible all the time? I wasn't. Do they have the energy to keep up with four boys? That mm. takes a lot of energy. Yeah. If anybody was wondering, I have four mm-hmm. boys, four to 14. Oh, my. No, I didn't. And so I had to learn that taking care of myself, it's not me time. It's not selfish. It's not elevating my body to idolatry status. It's about me saying, okay, God, show me how to take care of myself so that I can do all these other things that you've put into my hand. And by God's grace. No longer in heart failure, Love no it. longer in renal failure. Love the it. Lord's done a lot of great work. Yeah, because either one of those, I mean, I'm not a scientist, but from what I understand, either one of those means that we're not having this conversation right now if you don't take those steps, right. you know, a couple of years ago. Aaron Davis is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. Her book is called Fasting and Feasting, 40 Devotions to Satisfy the Hungry Heart. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Aaron, how did you view food prior to the crisis? I mean, was it means to an end? Did you have a sweet tooth or or sweet teeth, as my mom likes to say? Or because <laughs> I, mean, I have a full blown sweet mouth. I mean, it's not even any question. Mm-hmm. But I also have a gallbladder yeah. that reminds me, hey, you had too much sugar. What was it like for you right. in terms of when the crisis came? Did you what was the big aha where you said, wow, I need to? Because spiritually, I got my Bible stuff all together. But when it comes yeah. to physically, I realized, hey, spiritually, I didn't have it all together because my body was shutting down. Yeah, I think like a lot of us, I was pretty schizophrenic about it, to be honest. Mm. I love food. Uh, I would consider myself a foodie. If I get mm-hmm. a free day, I'm gonna you're going to find me in my kitchen. Um, but at the same time, it was like this constant source of regret, and I couldn't get it right. And I remember I was teaching to a group of women several years ago, and I asked them to write down their greatest area of sin. And then I collected those pieces of paper, and I went back to my hotel room that night and read them. By far and away, what women wrote the most about was food. Hmm. And so there, then I'm like, we don't even understand what sin is, if we think that is what our right. greatest area of sin struggle is. But for me, it's such a basic idea, and I, I feel like I'm repeating myself a little bit, but I had to realize God created me to need food. He created me to need food every day, which He didn't create everybody that way. There are some creatures... Uh, cave-dwelling olms, they only need to eat every few years. Sharks can go months without eating. So he created me with a need to eat every day, and then he created the food to meet that need. So it becomes this rhythm of, okay, I have this alarm in my body, it's telling me to eat, which is essentially an alarm telling me I need the Lord, and he's going to provide, and then there's gratitude. So again, it shifts from this thing that I'm trying to control all the time, which in the book I describe as a tiger in a box. You take Mm. the tiger out, you try to feed him, you try to get him back in the box, at some point, he's going to bite back. Yeah. Then it becomes this area of surrender to the Lord, where I go, just like in the rest of my life, Lord, if I'm left to my own devices here, apart from the Holy Spirit, I'm going to drive myself into those ditches you mentioned. But you care about me. You care about my life. You've created this need in me. Show me a better way. So that should be so elementary, but I think we've missed it. And we receive so many messages about food in a given day. I mean, I don't even know how you could tally that. Mm-hmm but most of it has nothing to do with asking your maker to show you Mm. how to interact with food and then being grateful when he does. So that 
has really changed things for me at a fundamental level. And for my family, my husband, my kids, we're all eating differently. We're all feeling differently. And it's not because we're working some nutrition plan. Mm. It's because I think we have a deeper understanding of how we're wired and how our lives are meant to showcase God's glory. I love that. Erin Davis is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. Her book is called Fasting and Feasting, 40 Devotions to Satisfy the Hungry Heart. We're going to take a quick break here, and when we come back, we'll dive into this. I was going to say we'll sink our teeth into some of what she's written about in this great devotional about how fasting and feasting ultimately drive us toward a deeper relationship and having a hunger for God as opposed to just the uh, creature comforts that satisfy us and uh, often lead to unhealthy decisions here in the body of Christ. More of my conversation with Aaron Davis in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. Well, Dennis Wilson is with me today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh, 800-696-9970 or go to wilson-financial.com. There are a lot of people who have been really taking a bath when it comes to stocks this year, stock market off 25% in some segments, but yet you have a new program that's really designed to help somebody in that situation earn some of that loss back. It's obviously designed to do exactly that. It's a very limited offer on a 16% guaranteed return on your account in an account that in the next two years can never go down. It is a great vehicle to help people who have lost money because of the way the market is. But there is a time limit, is there not, Dennis Wilson? People have to act now. The 4th of January, you have an additional, I think, 30 or 60 days to get the funds in because some of these IRA accounts take a while to move. But yes, the initial application and declaration that you want to start the account needs to be signed by 1423. This is a golden opportunity. Go to wilson-financial.com, 800-696-9970, or go to kbrightradio.com forward slash Wilson Financial. Aaron Davis is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. The book is called Fasting and Feasting, 40 Devotions to Satisfy the Hungry Heart. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Aaron is a popular author, more than a dozen books and Bible studies to her credit. And this new one uh, stemming from a, a bit of a personal health crisis in her own life that uh, led to her on a rather uh, deep spiritual discovery. Erin, during the break, we were talking about the fact that so many people have been talking about fasting uh, of late. I don't know of too many yeah. people who haven't tried, I guess, what they call intermittent fasting. Or I think we just used to call it that's the way we ate, right? You got up at 6, <laughs> you had breakfast, <clears throat> you worked through the rest of the day, you had lunch, you had dinner by 6, and then for the next 12 hours, nobody ate anything. And that seemed to work right. well. And now it's some big scientific discovery. Hey! Hey, guess what? You know, if you <laughs> intermittent fasting for 12 hours is healthier and you're like, well, that's kind of the way we used to live life. But when it comes to fasting, I know a lot of people who are kind of into the messianic type of thing. They're like, hey, let's do all the festival feasts and stuff like that. And that part's cool. We get that. But when it comes to fasting, it's like, well, that's when you got a really major crisis. And you just don't eat anything for a day and don't tell anybody. Um, help us understand what biblical fasting is really all about. Yeah, I mean, to your point, I've loved watching the health and fitness industry in the past two years say, like, we've discovered yeah. intermittent fasting. And I say, <laughs> open your Bible. The Lord's been telling his people that's good for them for a really long time. Mm -hmm. And we don't talk about it. I think I know why we don't talk about it. There's a passage in Matthew where Jesus says, when you fast, which let's stop there. That mm -hmm. assumes that God's people are fasting. Right. But he talks about, like, don't make a big show of it, like the Pharisees, go in your room and close the door. And I think we've interpreted that to mean we can't ever talk about fasting, which how can that be? Because Jesus himself was talking about fasting. So mm -hmm. I think we need to put it back on the table and have a conversation about it. But fasting is setting aside a need that you have in order to feast on God. Mm. And I've heard lots of people say, it doesn't have to be food. It could be social media. It could be Facebook. And I'd say, let's pause there, because in Scripture, it's always one of two things. 
It's usually fasting from food. The only exception that I see is in the New Testament when Paul tells married couples they can fast from sex for a time for prayer. Right. So we're not talking about something that you can live without. You can live without Facebook. You can live without social media. You can even live without coffee. We're talking about some primal, basic needs. And you set those things aside to focus on the Lord. If you're just fasting and you're not praying, you're on a diet. You may be intermittent <laughs> fasting for health. You're not intermittent fasting for spiritual things. So yeah. the idea, and it's not one-to-one, but the idea is to substitute the time, the energy, the focus you would have given to eating that day, preparing your meals, shopping for your meals, plating your meals, washing the dishes, and you redirect that to the Lord. And when I'm fasting, I'll often have that hunger pain. You do get hungry. Mm-hmm. And I'll say, oh, Jesus, like I'm hungering for food right now. Help me to hunger and thirst for righteousness. So Mm -hmm. it's a reset. And the Bible gives us many, many, many good reasons to fast, sometimes in a crisis, sometimes in repentance, sometimes when we're grieved over the state of our nation, which all Christians should be fasting right now Mm -hmm. based on that criteria. Um, It's lots of reasons. When we want to set apart Christian leaders for service, we see that in the Book of Acts. When we're launching a ministry, we see that. So lots of reasons to fast, but it's to deny our physical hunger and so that we can feast and really focus on crying out to the Lord. Boy, I love that great wisdom from Aaron Davis today here on The Bottom Line. The book is called Fasting and Feasting, 40 Devotions to Satisfy the Hungry Heart. And we have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. And I'm going to borrow that line and give you credit every time I use it. If you're fasting and you're not praying, you're dieting. Okay, that's simply yeah. put, that's it's purely physical. There's nothing spiritual about it. But I think that's the whole point of this devotional book, isn't it, Aaron? The fact that fat, whether fasting or feasting, there is a spiritual component first and foremost. Oh, yeah, you'll experience the physical benefits for doing so. But this is all about the uh, our, improving our spiritual growth and our walk with the Lord. Uh, help us understand how you envision us using this book best. It's 40 days. It's perfect time for us to maybe do this in, during the Lenten season, though Easter's not till mm-hmm. April. Don't wait that long. Start now. But how do we how do we use this book um, most effectively? Listen, the, the diet and health industry, they're coming for your heart and mind. As soon as the calendar turns over, they're going to try and convince us that that is the way to a flourishing new year. And it may be, but it's not going to be apart from Jesus. So I, I say that fasting is feasting. It is a way to experience God in a fresh way. And so this is a 40-day devotional. The, uh, the idea is not that you would fast and then feast and then fast and then feast and right, then fast right. and feast for 40 days. That might make you sick. But there is so much scripture about food, and I hope that you'll pick up this devotional, and I hope you'll seek Jesus first, food rhythm second. I think he's going to want to speak to you about how you interact with food, but I don't know how. That's the Holy Spirit's job. For you, it might be fasting. For you, it might be feasting. It might be somewhere in between. But I think as you dig into God's Word, it always does what it's supposed to do in our life, which Mm -hmm. is to shape us more into the image of Jesus. And I think you're going to find like, oh, I had no idea that the Bible talked that much about food, that Jesus talked about that much about food. And food, just as one example, food is used all the time to teach us higher truth. Psalm 34 eight, you've probably heard it a million times. Mm-hmm. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Why yes. did God use that sense? Not see, not listen, not another sense, not touch, but taste and see. I think that's because food has so much to teach us about who God is and what he desires for us. And uh, it, it, it uh, it's so God to put something that's so essential, obviously food, that we need and tie it back into himself. You know, when you think about right. my wife and I, the other day we were out for a walk and that's not to pat us on the back. We just, it's been a while and you're, like you said, we 
both work from home a lot. And so we're like, we got to get out and hit the trail. And there's a one yeah. spot in the back of our uh, community where there's a, a private uh, piece of land where they've got these massive orange trees. And the orange trees always grow over. And so we went ahead and picked up, you know, grabbed a couple of oranges before they fell on the ground, of course. And so we got home afterwards yeah. and we're patting ourselves in the back of getting some extra vitamin C. And these things had more seeds and then the God knows what, right? And I just, we just had to smile and say, isn't it wild how God has, you know, talk about blessed exceeding abundantly far beyond what we could ever ask or imagine. Every one of these little slices of fruit has basically an orchard in it. And it's right. the question is, how are we going to put it into play? And of course, then we dutifully threw our seeds away, you know, because we're, we don't have, we live in a small community with tiny backyard, you can't really plant an orange tree. But it reminded me, uh, Aaron Davis, of what you've been talking about in terms of the, whether it's fasting or feasting, it's all to go deeper. Um, take the last 60 seconds of our time together and offer us the encouragement. I mean, you, you are so healthy and happy and spirited, and we're just really enjoying hearing what this has done for you in your life. Uh, give that same encouragement. I mean, I realize you, you'll we'll read that encouragement as our listeners get a copy of your book, but uh, talk about what the biggest transitional point has been for you once you said, wow, if I don't change my act, my heart's going to fail, my kidneys are going to fail, I'm not going to see my kids grow up to where you are right yeah. now. Yeah, there's this little story in the Gospels. After the crucifixion, burial, resurrection, the disciples are out fishing, and Jesus goes to him and he calls them into the shore, and he makes them breakfast. And Scripture actually says that he has fish cooking and warm bread. And I could do without the fish for breakfast, but this is a Mediterranean <laughs> context, of course. Sure, sure. And he is the bread of life. And mm. that means everything it means for our prayer lives and for being a part of the church and for worship means all of that. But in this case, he offered them actual, physical, warm bread. Mm. And I think just realizing he's that attentive to the details of your life. He cares about what goes in your mug in the morning, what you feed your family at night. He cares about all of it. And so you have an offering to just Give that back to him. Give him glory with all of it. And things are going to change for you when it stops being about what you put in your mouth. And it starts being about how can I give God glory? Because mm. he gave me all of this. Mm -hmm. And he is the bread of life. He is my sustainer. I want to glorify him with this. It changes things in the most beautiful way. I love it. Aaron Davis, the uh, brand new book is called Fasting and Feasting. It's 40 devotions to satisfy your hungry hunger, and we encourage you to go to thebottomlineshow.com. Satisfy your hungry heart, I should say. Uh, Aaron, thank you so much for the work that you've done. I'm glad that your health has improved and that you've been a, such a blessing and encouragement to us, and uh, praying God's blessing over you and your husband and your four boys, especially as a, well, especially for you. I mean, we'll pray for the boys, yeah, but, but we're going to pray for you more <laughs> because you. you certainly need it. I'll take it. Thanks for being with us today here on The Bottom Line. Oh, it's been a joy. Some interesting points there made up in today's conversation, and it's always good to have this type of focus, especially this time of year. Aaron Davis has been my guest. The book is Feasting and Fasting, 40 Devotions to Satisfy the Hungry Heart. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com and a copy of the book to give away right now, our first big giveaway here of 2023, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. And I th you're going to appreciate this book. I think you are because of the spiritual significance of feasting and fasting. I want to get into that a little bit on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. Life insurance will never replace the person you love, but that money can help you get through life when it feels impossible. When your life insurance claim is denied while you're already dealing with so much, you need someone on your side. Stephanie Cover of Coverlaw used to work for the insurance companies. She challenges and understands the way insurance companies think. 
Hire Stephanie to file a life insurance appeal while everything is still fresh in your mind. Don't let the insurance company get away with greedy behavior while you're in mourning. Stephanie Cover will do everything in her power to get you the financial protection which was promised to you as a beneficiary of the policy. The money from the life insurance proceeds can supplement your income so you can support yourself throughout the process of bereavement. Save Stephanie's number or call her now at 877-214-4935. That's 877-214-4935. Or you can fill out a contact form at kbrightradio.com slash Law. Stephanie Cover. She knows the other side. My thanks again to author and speaker Aaron Davis for joining us today here on The Bottom Line to talk about feasting and fasting, 40 devotions to satisfy the hungry heart. The link for the book is up at thebottomlineshow.com, and a copy of the book is available to you. Uh, if you are, uh, if, if, well, if you're the correct caller, I should say, uh, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. And I appreciate what Aaron says about feasting and fasting, because the reality is, um, as Christians, we're called to do both. And I think oftentimes we take a look at our walk of faith and we think, well, it's kind of an either or, you know, either God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that we can enjoy all the riches and spoils of this world. And that is a sign that God is blessing us and we're living abundantly. Um, Or God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that we're to walk around denying ourselves everything and not really having um, that kind of abundance in in our world. And, you know, it's interesting. From a physical standpoint, feasting and fasting are kind of the normal way of life. I mean, there's this new fad that's been around for a couple of years called intermittent fasting. But we usually just call it normal eating patterns. I mean, you woke up in the morning, you had some what we call breakfast, where you break your fast from the night before. And then you had that around 6 or 7 in the morning. Then you had lunch at noon. And you had dinner around 5, 5.30, 6 o'clock. And then you didn't eat anything for at least 12 hours. And the normal activity of life and the regular eating patterns, we didn't have to go on a, I'm doing an intermittent fasting diet. (laughs) You know, we just did. And then when there was a time of great feasting and rejoicing, like we see in the Old Testament, then there are certain festivals that we should participate in. And there are times when we're to fast and go without food and be in prayer before the Lord, um, seeking him earnestly. It's really not a question that this is a new concept. It's just a matter of doing it in a way that is God-honoring. And I'm grateful that Aaron Davis has given us kind of a blueprint. These devotions, they focus either on the feasting part or the fasting part. But this is where um, you take a look at the way you look at food and see how it kind of reflects your spiritual life. And trust me, brothers and sisters, this has not been an easy battle for yours truly either. I mean, during COVID, I put on about 30 pounds. And it's a, it's been a frustrating time. There, I've been, had seasons where my physical health has been great and other times where, like it now, it, it needs to improve. But I understand, too, that the, what's happening in this temporary tent, which is the temple of the Holy Spirit, is more a reflection of what's, more importantly, what's growing on in my spiritual life. And I hope that you can take a, a page out of Aaron's playbook and learn. All right, coming up next, we've got some great stories of uh, Christians being Christian in the middle of tragedy, a pastoral couple in Buffalo, New York, helping those in the ice and snow, a call for prayer for a football player for the Buffalo Bills, and also an update on the rain and also the earthquakes that have hit California. That's all coming up next as the bottom line continued. One of the greatest gifts that we can give to an expectant mother is the gift of the first picture she'll ever have of her son or daughter in the womb. That comes through an ultrasound, and our friends at Preborn have an opportunity for us to make more of these ultrasounds a reality. 
every time you give a donation of $28 to Preborn, that means one more ultrasound can take place. But how about giving enough money for an ultrasound machine? The cost is $15,000. It's a sizable investment. But every ultrasound machine can do 250 ultrasounds per year and lasts at least 10 years. Now take that cost, $15,000, and divide that by 2500 Okay, now you begin to see how the cost per ultrasound goes down even more once we have more ultrasound machines to donate into preborn clinics. Make a donation right now to preborn. It's completely tax deductible, and every penny, every dollar you donate right now is going to the purchase of an ultrasound machine. 833-850-BABY is the number to call. 833-850-2229, or go to kbrightradio.com. That's K-B-R-I-T-E radio.com. Click on the banner for Preborn and make your best donation right now. $25, $50, $100, it all counts towards saving babies' lives. KBrightRadio.com. Hit the Preborn banner right now. Well, welcome to another edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Martian, and happy, happy Tuesday. I want to say Super Tuesday. We're not quite in election mode just yet, but primaries will be here before you know it. But happy first Tuesday of the year uh, for those who are tuning in we got the full network here for this half hour and thank you for everyone who has been praying for us and tuning in on a regular basis here on the bottom line show for the past 12 years thank you for the half dozen or so folks who called last friday and over the weekend um, we had a recorded uh, best of broadcast yesterday to kind of kick off the new year so this is our first brand new back in the saddle program for the year and i want to thank everybody who called in um, over the weekend and last last friday when lisa and i were on the air for uh, preborn, we had another half dozen or so uh, contributions to the preborn campaign, and so grateful that everyone is uh, is seeing the vision of this. This next half hour, we're going to take a look at some of the news headlines that have been happening over the past couple of days, and of course, here in soggy California, I want to say soggy Southern California, but Northern California, of course, taking a beating as well, and you know, earthquakes and you know, wars and rumors of wars. I mean, everything that's been going on. But one of the things that we know is that having sober judgment, having the ability to look at what's happening in the world um, through the lens of Scripture and, and not freak out. Uh, it was, we were talking on the uh, National Crawford Roundtable podcast last week. Uh, Neil Boron brought this up, and, and I, I love when Neil brings his pastoral chops to the table. So many people have been looking at you know elections and governments and wars and, and now natural disasters and things like that and saying oh my gosh this these are signs that you know the lord's return is near and and neil really exhorted us and said hey look the lord will return i mean the antichrist will show up i mean all these things that were promised to us in the book of revelation they're going to happen and i and I, it really struck me i've been thinking about this a lot and praying about this a lot about how many things that happen in the culture right now that people don't want to happen and so then we try to fight against them happening or try to prevent them i mean the covid uh, pandemic is a, is a classic case of where man's mindset is versus god's mindset now obviously i'm not suggesting god said and let there be covid and everybody got sick and you know people wound up losing their lives or going to the hospital or losing their businesses not that at all but when the pandemic hit, I mean, there have been pandemics that have hit the world before. There are viruses that have turned deadly before. I mean, the, 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 this isn't the type of thing that's new. But it was amazing to me to watch how many people reacted the way they did um, in, in an effort to try to somehow vanquish this. And uh, here's what I'm referring to. The idea that somehow 
COVID was coming, it was going to, you know, mess with our, our lives and our emotions and our finances and things like that. So if we could prevent it from actually happening, then we won't be at risk. Instead of saying, well, what do you do when it does happen? And I thought this is kind of a worldly mindset. The idea that we could vaccinate away a problem and never have to deal with the ramifications when people do get it. There's no way you could stop a virus. I mean, viruses, that's what viruses do. And when you bring in any sort of, I mean, I've learned enough about biology over the past three years anyway to know, viruses mutate. And so if you try to come up with something that will provide a barrier of protection against said virus, it'll just mutate into something else. When I see these new strains that are showing up of COVID, for example, and, and one of the Washington Post or something like that, the, the writer was astonished that the vaccinations that have been made available to the public to, quote unquote, stop COVID haven't been effective against the new strain. Well, I mean, <laughs> I think all of us can learn a little microbiology to understand that's what viruses do. They mutate because they're trying to get around the barrier. That's just that's what happens. And the sin nature of this world is the same way. I mean, when you get right down to it, the, at the end of the day, because there is sin in the world, Jesus died to pay the penalty for the sin, and he has conquered sin and death so that when you and I place our faith and trust in him, not because of anything that we've done, but because God's given us the gift of faith to receive the gift of salvation, then uh, praise God, we follow him, and we, we follow his son, and he is our Lord and Savior, and, and we profess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, and we uh, believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we commune with the with the saints, and and I mean that that's that hasn't changed since the Lord walked the earth. But we do live in a culture that says, well, we know there's some bad things out there, but if we could just be good for goodness' sake, then everything will be fine, or if we could just get that shot of goodness, that 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 vaccination, and you, you'll notice that one of the frustrating things during the pandemic was how many people were looking at the vaccination as the cure instead of saying, well, what's the treatment once you actually get the virus? I did not have the vaccination, but I did get COVID and I did get treatment and here we are. I mean, and my story is the same as millions of people in this country who had the same issue, but looking at the media, you'll never get that. So we live in a culture right now that says, well, wait a minute, there, there, there are storms, there are earthquakes, there are bad things, and we have to do what we can to prevent those things from happening. Well, I mean, in all honesty, if you want to look at the torrential rainfall that has hit uh, the western United States, you look at the bomb cyclone that hit the eastern part, I, I was uh, having some, I mentioned last week on the program, I had some, uh, some good dialogue with Neil Boron, again, uh, WDCX in Buffalo. Buffalo's kind of all over the news between the NFL game last night and uh, you know, the uh, uh, the bomb cyclone hitting and 30 plus people uh, wind up losing their lives because of the weather. I mean, it's just, it's, it's awful. It's awful. And yet at the same time, I don't know if you heard about this, a couple of pastors in downtown Buffalo made headlines because they were involved in rescuing over 150 people. Uh, Al and Vivian Robinson are a husband and wife team. They pastor the Spirit of Truth Urban Ministry in Buffalo. And I love the fact that, you know, I mean, this is a group, they have nine children. Their plans for the Christmas holiday, of course, were to say, everybody's coming to mom and dad's house for Christmas dinner, and we're all going to do it. I noticed that Neil and his wife, Mary, posted their, uh, their Christmas dinner pictures on social media yesterday. They got to celebrate Christmas January the 2nd. Well, they had no power. I mean, so they were, 
you're going to use that generator very sparingly if you can. But when Alan Vivian Robinson saw what was happening with the bomb cyclone, and they realized that their church still had electricity and other places, other homes didn't, um, Al Robinson said, I'll never forget to ask my wife, why do you think God gave us power and allowed the power to be cut off from other people? Why did he choose us? Five hours later, he said, we discovered exactly why. A number of uh, uh, people who, <laughs> they basically got started getting the word out. They jumped into action and said, hey, here's the thing. They, uh, they look at uh, uh, you know, what was happening and they said, we were able to deliver up to 154 people to the church simply just to not freeze to death. There were 12-foot snow drifts in Buffalo. There were frigid conditions, as you know. The death toll was 40 people. Literally, people were freezing to death. I mean, you couldn't drive anywhere. There was no power. The wind chill factor was negative 20. So if you can imagine trying to walk in... To, uh, my kids and I were there. Today my, is my daughter Emily's 35th birthday. Happy birthday, Em. Uh, listening, hopefully, in Texas. Um, but back in 2018... Uh, she had celebrated, let's see, was it 2017, 2018? That was five years ago. Yeah, we celebrated her 30th birthday. My goodness. See what happens when your kids turn 35. Lisa and I have two kids turning 35 this year because her son, Kevin, will do that later this summer. But five years ago, we went to New York when they had a bomb cyclone and we were walking around downtown. Everything was closed. We have some really great pictures of us trying to look at the 9-11 memorial. It was awful. But I remember cruising around there in in that cold weather, and it wasn't as cold as they made it out to be. I mean, it it was somewhere around zero, but, I mean, 20 below in the wind chill factor. Here's Al Robinson and his church saying, look, they, they posted a message on Facebook. And they said, look, if you're local here, our church has electricity. Come here. And just come here and get out of the cold. And he said, you know, first there was uh, 10 people. Then a couple of big families came in that pushed us up to 30. And then it went to 60. And then it went to 90. Then it went to 100. I love this. It goes 120, 128. Last time I counted, it went all the way up to 154. And I love the fact that here is this couple who said they thought they were going to have a big group at their home on Christmas Day, and instead they wound up feeding over 100 people at their church. They had purchased two weeks' worth of food for their family for of 11 over the holidays, and instead of using that to feed their own family, Alan Victoria Robinson used that food to feed 130 people. You know, it, it, it's inc- God's hand was all over this. Here's another part of the story that just blows me away. One of the most amazing elements in this story. The Robinsons and their church had recently, uh, they had a a home that they were using for uh, uh, rehab and things of that nature. And so they had a number of people who would come in if they were in, you know, kind of halfway house type of thing. And the church basically had sold that home and they were getting ready to purchase a larger facility. So they sold this place. And so all of the mattresses and the bed and stuff like this, we'll put this picture up at thebottomlineshow.com. Um, they had a, uh, a linen closet and a storage room full of bedding and stuff like this, some extra mattresses that were just sitting at the church because they didn't, I mean, they, they were in transition, right? You know what it's like when you're in transition. If you're moving out of one place and moving into another, you got to store your stuff. And that's what the Robinsons of their church did.
So instead of having a family feast for 11 people where they had made provisions, buying food and figuring, okay, well, we're going to have all these people coming in. The weather's going to be a bummer. Let's make sure we have enough for our family for the Christmas holiday when they're all here with us. They wound up using that abundance instead to feed 154 people in the Buffalo area. Alan Vivian Robinson, tremendous ministry outreach meeting the needs and the spirit of truth urban ministry in uh, buffalo new york good for you guys billy hallowell with the report out of faith wire we've got that uh, story up at the bottom as we continue we're going to take a slight update on the uh, uh the earthquake that happened a couple days ago we're going to take a look at the rain and also the big story out of buffalo once again well actually it's out of cincinnati uh last night's nfl monday night game that was suspended indefinitely after one of the members of the Buffalo Bills collapsed on the field in one of the most dramatic uh, moments we've ever seen in media. And uh, we'll give you an update on that condition. That's coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. I started off uh, the, this half-hour segment talking about uh, the, f- the fact that so many people in the world don't want to see what's happening, it's not at all through the reality of what's going on the lens of Scripture. And when you look at what is happening and you see where the needs are, it's amazing. You could be Alan Vivian Robinson of the ministry in Buffalo that have nine kids. All kids were coming home for Christmas. They bought two weeks worth of food to feed the 11 people who were all going to be in the home for the two weeks. And then the bomb cyclone hit. And next thing you know, craziest thing, where homes all around their community went out were out of power, their church still had power. And so they put a Facebook message up saying, hey, look, we have power. If you need a place to get out of the cold, come to our church. And it started from there. Brothers and sisters in the ministry, please understand that the best way to attract people to the gospel is to live it out first and foremost in the temporal and then let the spiritual take over. You know, when you get right down to it. Because the world doesn't know how to give good gifts, (laughs) but the church does. I mean, the world will give good gifts to get something out of it. But uh, when I think of the Robinsons who just happened to sell a church property that was a rehab center that had a, they were in transition. And so all of a sudden they've got all these extra mattresses and blankets and things like that that's sitting around the church. They just happened to buy enough food for their 11 family members who were going to be with them for two weeks. And that two week supply wound up feeding 130 plus people. They just so happened. You know, preparing for one thing, but then being open to what God had in store for them as well. Um, On the West Coast, of course, it's been the rain, especially that's been a huge story in California in particular. Uh, There was a person in the Sacramento area, uh, actually in uh, Elk Grove, who uh, uh, wound up uh, dying as a result of the flooding. You know, what's interesting about the flooding that's been happening. I mean, the rain totals have been huge. But understand, too, I, I worked in Fullerton, California for a number of years at a place called Ambassador Advertising. A lot of the programs that you hear on our bottom line stations are produced by Ambassador. And so I spent about 11 years there in, in that side of the, uh, the industry, as it were. And Fullerton is kind of a landlocked area in central Orange County. And it seemed like every time it rained, the streets would flood. And one day I remember there was a police officer out who was checking on a traffic stop or something like that who just happened to pull up in front of our area and we'd gotten some rain and there was a, it was kind of high water mark and I asked him why is it that the streets here flood so much and he says well because the storm drains in Fullerton are only a quarter inch deep I said you're kidding me a quarter inch he goes well yeah it's Fullerton we don't get a lot of rain why would anybody care right and 
I wonder how many of these places, I mean, let's face it, a lot of the flooding in, in Sacramento County, for example, is because of breaking levees, not necessarily because of torrential rains. I mean, the rains were heavy, but that's what caused the Hurricane Katrina damage, too. The levees in New Orleans broke back in 2005. And California has a terrible reputation for the storage and things that we've done here in the Golden State. Uh, we have not built a new reservoir in the state since 1979. We don't do well with overflow of water, and we don't anticipate that it's going to be that bad. Now, add to this the fact that for the second time in less than two weeks, there was a 5.1, or excuse me, 5.4 earthquake that was measured uh, about 30 miles south of Eureka. Uh, if you are in our listing area and you heard that, um, you know that that follows up the 6.4 job that happened on December 20th. And, you know, Sunday we were shaking and rattling. Great way to start the year, right? But people who are looking at these types of things saying, oh my gosh, the flooding and the earthquakes, and this is horrible. This is, you know, it's the Antichrist is coming, et cetera, et cetera. Um, well, the Antichrist is coming at some point. It's not a question of if, it's a question of when. All these things happen. So we can look at the signs of the times, but as Christians especially, why aren't we focusing on what is going to happen and how we can be best prepared for it rather than, oh my gosh, dread, dread, let's try to keep it from happening. See, that's the difference I was trying to accentuate at the beginning of the program. Oftentimes we look at a situation like this and say, the world solution is, let's keep this from happening. The godly solution is, what is God doing? And if this is part of a greater plan, then so be it. There were a lot of people, I, I, I'll be honest with you, the people who say prayer, thoughts and prayers, prayers and thoughts, no one, that doesn't work, it doesn't matter. A lot of those people were not on social media last night. I don't know if you were watching the game. I was not. Uh, we, we were up to something else and didn't have the game on. But the Buffalo Bills were in Ohio to play the Cincinnati Bengals. And Buffalo Bills safety, DeMar Hamlin, um, collapsed. It was the craziest thing. Uh T. Higgins gets the ball out of the backfield for Cincinnati. It's running up, and he looked like he had the bigger end of the deal. It was seemingly a fairly innocuous hit. But then, after they both got up to their feet, uh, DeMar Hamlin just collapsed, and he lay unconscious on the field. We found out later he was not breathing. I think back to uh, December of 2015, when my mother had a, a situation like that where she had a heart attack, uh, my dad called 911. They raced right over. Uh, they were fortunately lived fairly close to the hospital where they were in San Diego. And by the time the paramedics got there, they gave her the vitals and whatever she needed to bring her back in the ambulance on the way to the hospital. Wound up getting a stent. She's got a, had a couple of stents since then. But the idea that she was basically out for several minutes not uncommon. Uh, in this case, uh, DeMar Hamlin was down for like nine minutes or something like that, where he basically was not with us. They gave him CPR. They used an automated external defibrillator. They put him into an ambulance, rushed him to the hospital. Um, and then, of course, critical condition, you know, and, and but the, the prayer cover on social media was staggering. People that I know who are faithful Christian folks who just did you see this we're praying for him we're praying for him we're praying for him you see the pictures of the guys from both sides of the uh, line of scrimmage you know both the Bengals as well as the Bills taking a knee 
praying, just, you know, really moved and, and, and you know, uh, emotionally distraught over what happened. And then, uh, you know, but the, it's interesting how many people in the, well, all you Christians are always the thoughts and prayers. We're putting up stuff on social media. Hey, keep this family, you know, prayers way up and that type of stuff. But it was, it was really nice to see. And I, I had to wonder, I mean, obviously, God knows how many breaths we get, how many beats of the heart we get, how many years we get, how many candles on whichever birthday cakes we get. And as far as I know, I mean, I've never, I'll be honest with you, not a big NFL fan, did not know who DeMar Hamlin was until last night. That's the way it is for most of us. And apparently he likes to use that eye black, you know, that kind of burnt cork stuff that guys put under their eyes. Uh, it's supposed to take the glare off the field or the sun or whatever. But he always makes the sign of a cross on his right cheek, apparently. Uh, and apparently he's a, a very strong Christian, a man of great faith. This is a guy who, he's been in the league for two years. He's only 24 years old. And when he um, was finishing up his senior year at the University of Pittsburgh, um, he did something rather philanthropic. He started a GoFundMe page. Uh, he, I guess he grew up in a kind of a tough part of Pittsburgh, and he wanted to do a toy drive. He wanted to raise 2500 bucks to, um, to provide toys for the kids in that community. Well, that GoFundMe page has still been active, and as of yesterday, I think they received like a million dollars in donations to that page. People want to do something. They want to, they want to help out. Nice to know that a, a man of faith has people praying for him. But what's interesting is the way the league responded versus, I mean, you heard the game was suspended. It's been postponed indefinitely. Uh, they'll get the game in. I mean, they, they, you know, the, there's too much money going on. Uh, there's too much, you know, at stake. But the question, is it, you know, from, it was it the league, was it the network, you know, that was holding on? I mean, they, they've stayed with this story for a good hour before they called the game. But why the conflicting stories over what actually happened? And what does that tell us about a culture that doesn't want to look at what's really going on versus what they want to go on? We'll talk about that coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. If you are impacted or have been impacted by the rain, I think most of us have, and, and more than just the inconvenience part. Southern Californians, when it rained, oh my gosh, it's the apocalypse, <laughs> you know. Northern California, well, you guys are getting battered too. Um, but I just, uh, you know, I, I encourage you to, uh, uh, to be prayerful, to be mindful, and, and look at the signs of the times. I mean, a heavy rainstorm doesn't necessarily mean the Antichrist is coming. But, you know, wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and that type of stuff, they're, they're pretty intense. Interesting to me that... The DeMar Hamlin story, if you didn't have a chance to watch the game last night, the video's everywhere of him just literally making a tackle on, uh, on a member of the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, literally, he just, uh, you know, the, the, it was a play at the line of scrimmage, right? T. Higgins gets the ball, comes out of the backfield. Uh, DeMar Hamlin tackles him. They both get up, and then Hamlin takes a couple steps backwards and literally falls over on his back. Turned out he had a heart attack. The NFL was debating whether or not to continue on with the game. Apparently, the NFL Players Association said there, there's no way the players are, are happening. Evidently, this happened once before. It was 1971. The Steelers against the Bears or something like that. I remember the Bears literally died on the field, and they kept playing the game. No one was told. They just carded him off. He's unconscious. He'll be fine. And then, oh, by the way, he died. Now, DeMar Hamlin, you know, it's amazing to see this thing happening. I'm loving the prayer, but the idea that the NFL 
is saying, oh, no, 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 we didn't say that. We didn't say players got five minutes to get back warmed up and do whatever. You know, the reality is a man collapsed on the field in the presence of some highly emotionally charged athletes. They care a lot about this guy, and nobody was thinking about playing the game. But it's also a reminder to people, he's 24 years old. Gosh, I mean, why would something happen like that to somebody that age? Well, brothers and sisters, there's sin in the world, and sin will corrupt everything it touches. I had a bad bicuspid aortic valve in my heart five years ago. I, we have sin. We have, can, we have cancer. We have illness. All, there was none of that scheduled for the Garden of Eden, but sin made its way into the camp, and this is a result of sin. It doesn't mean God doesn't heal, but the way God chooses to heal and the timing that God chooses to heal. I know that I've been, I, I like to say, using a soccer term, I've been living on stoppage time for the past five years. And so as someone who has that vantage point, none of us know the day or the hour of the Lord's return. Nobody knows how many breaths we have left. May I encourage you? I don't know if I'm not a New Year's resolution guy, but since we're starting off the year, I want to encourage you to make this the year that you really do live every moment for the Lord and you really take every opportunity you possibly can to uh, to, to think in terms of evangelism. We have one job once we're rescued from sin and death, and that is to become a disciple, to grow. And in that part of that calling is the Great Commission, go into all the world and preach the gospel, make disciples of every tribe and tongue, every nation. And Lord, may this be the year that we evangelize to the fullest, that we serve you to the fullest. And if this is your time to come back, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. And we're praying, of course, for DeMar Hamlin's family as well. For our KCBC audience, enjoy the rest of your day and Rabbi Schneider, Discovering the Jewish Jesus, coming up next. For those who remain with us on the network, some interesting news about an event that's coming to Southern California that's going to have a huge impact on you in that actual calling, going into all the world and preaching the gospel. We'll talk about the Calvary Chapel Missions Conference coming up next as the bottom line continues. Well, we know the Great Commission, go into all the world, preach the gospel, and baptize those who receive it and believe it in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But what does it mean to be missionaries? I mean, what, what does mission work look like in 2023? Uh, joining me today here on the Bottom Line Show is Pastor John Kupik with uh, Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa. Calvary Chapel is hosting a missions conference, the missions conference called Open Door, uh, going on from January 4th through the 7th here at the start of 2023. And we've got a link for their site to tell you more about it at missions.cccm.com. Pastor John Kupik, now is it Kupik or Chupik? Welcome to the Bottom Line Show. Kupik. Actually, chew. So, okay. like, to chew something. Good. That's that's very, very helpful. And that's from what you were, were telling me before we started our uh, conversation here on air. Uh, that's that's of Ukrainian extraction. Yeah. Yeah, my grandparents uh, immigrated from the Ukraine. And that didn't mean a whole lot to me until uh, I actually wound up living there as a missionary. Then it kind of mm -hmm. came into a whole different realm. But, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'll bet. Well, tell us about the mission conference. I mean, I, that's a, a loaded statement because you could go just about anywhere. Mm -hmm. But I'm sure there are a lot of people who are listening are curious and wondering what actually happens. Are you just trying to recruit missionaries? Are you talking about how world mission has changed? Talk about what your role is like, Pastor John, at Calvary Chapel in terms of this conference. Yeah, well, so I'm the missions pastor at the church. So um, we have like 134 missionaries out around the world, so I'm, I'm involved a lot in, in helping them, facilitating them and what they do. And then once a year, we have this missions conference where it's an opportunity for 
as many of them as can come back as possible. We try to get them here. So usually we'll wind up having maybe 50 or 60 that will make it. And, um, and then it's a wonderful opportunity for them to kind of tell their story from yeah. the mission field to the people in the church here or others in the county and others that can come out. And I think it's a very important story because, you know, we read our newspapers and we read about all the chaos going on in the world and troubles and problems. And, uh, and I think sometimes people just wonder, okay, where is God in all this? You know, there's the war in Ukraine, there's all these issues happening in countries like Haiti and Lebanon and, you know, um, where's God in this? And here's a wonderful opportunity for everybody to kind of hear from those who are out there serving the Lord, the ways that God is moving in, in some of the most troubled places on earth. Yeah. So I think it's very exciting. And um, to your question, Roger, it's, yeah, I mean, if people are interested in becoming missionaries, this is certainly an opportunity to meet missionaries and find out what that's about. But of course, the vast majority of people will not become missionaries, and that's right. okay. That's God's plan. But it's an opportunity to hear what's going on, and maybe you want to get involved in that through praying for what's happening mm. in these different countries, or um, being just being an encouragement to a missionary, or being part of the missions work that's happening in your own church. So it's really, it's for everybody, but on a lot of different levels. I'm talking with Pastor John Chubik today here on The Bottom Line. He's the missions pastor at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. We're discussing the upcoming Calvary Chapel Missions Conference taking place January 4th, 5th, 6th, and 7th at Big Calvary, as we like to say here in Southern California, Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. We've got a link for missions.cccm.com up at thebottomlineshow.com. Uh, pastor John, the, the role of the missionary has remained the same for many, many years. But the function, I think, in terms of the way missionaries uh, go out, I, I remember growing up in church and there was usually a couple that had been, you know, somewhere that take a, you know, mm -hmm. a mission field. And for 35, 40 years, they were career missionaries. They'd come back once or twice a year and give us an update and we'd, you know, have a potluck and then offer some support, <laughs> that type of thing for what they yeah. did. But it seemed like it was happening far, far away. I get the sense now that missions and missionaries are a lot more local in their approach because maybe they're not spending as much time away from the church, the home church they are. Talk about what what it's like for a typical missionary family. You know that firsthand. Yeah. Well, yeah, things have changed, you know, definitely from uh, what you described. I mean, part of it is the ease of travel, you know. Um, it's it's a lot easier and, and cheaper to get from one part of the world to the other. So I think missionaries tend to stay more connected to their home churches and uh, show up more often. And of course, there's different kinds of missionaries. We have those that we would call short-term, you know, those for that go for periods under a year, maybe a few weeks or a couple months or six months or something, and they're going to go out and be part of something and then come back, and, and that's great and needed. And then there's still what we call the long term, you know, that go mm -hmm. out for a number of years and um, years at a time are in different countries. And of course, there's advantages to all of that. You know, the short termer doesn't have to disconnect from their whole life. They can hold on to their job, maybe in their place to live and go for a, a few weeks or a few months or something and come back to that and pick up their life. Um, 
you know, the long-termer, there are advantages because as you're long-term in a country, you can learn language, you learn culture, you can enter into deeper relationships with the people that over time, you know, that results in a lot more fruitfulness in a, in a, like if you were church planting or um, developing some kind of long-term work, like an orphanage or a school or things like that. So um, there's all different shapes and sizes of missionaries in our day. And of course, communication is a lot better. When I first went out in my early trips, you know, there, uh, there was just phones and pay phones and no mm-hmm. cell phones. So mm-hmm. that changed a lot. And uh, I remember when fax machines came along and what a huge innovation that was. You could write a letter. And um, when I first went, it was two weeks, one way, two weeks mm-hmm. back to wow. send a letter. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so technology has changed a lot. I talked to a lot of my missionaries all the time through FaceTime or um things like that. So the world has gotten smaller for sure. I love that. I'm talking with Pastor John Chubik today here on The Bottom Line. He's the missions pastor at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. We're talking about the role of missionaries in the church in the world today, especially with so much uh, fear, frustration, uh the anxieties that people have been experiencing over the past couple of years because of the pandemic, and then, of course, now with the uh, with the war and rumors of war uh, that we see happening in uh, in uh, John's uh, family home, uh, his grandparents coming from Ukraine, this uh, Open Door Mission Conference that's going to be taking place the 4th, 5th, 6th, and 7th at Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa is a, is a huge event. People are encouraged, of course, to go online to register for it. And we've got the link, missions.cccm.com, up at the thebottomlineshow.com. But what what about the person, Pastor John, who is hearing our conversation today and saying, wow, the, this all starts you know, right away. And I would just like to kind of drop in and see what's going on, maybe kick the tires a little bit, because my heart's being stirred toward the missionary aspect of my faith. Do you welcome people who are able to just kind of show up and drop in? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, all the evening, you know, there is a full registration, you know, for the conference and which includes some meals and uh, full access to everything that's going on. But we uh, in the evening sessions of the conference, people are free to just drop in. You can just come on in uh, without uh, registering. And on Saturday, the 7th, it's what we would call the last day of the missions conference. We call it our missions day at the church. And that's just an open, free day where um, everybody's welcome. You don't need to register if you're just coming on this Saturday. And we'll have two great speakers that day. One of them will be uh, Nabil Costa, who mm-hmm. is a, a missionary leader from Lebanon. Now, Lebanon's a very troubled country right now. It's like in full economic and political meltdown and you know, the whole southern half of the country is kind of ruled by uh, Hezbollah. You know, there's the influences of Iran. It's being overrun by Syrian refugees and all these things. But you know what? God is doing great things in Lebanon. And so it, it's just amazing. I was there a few months ago, and I was so impressed by the ways that God is working and the people that are coming to know him there and the way uh, yeah, God is just moving. Um, so, you know, that's just one of those stories. We can know these countries just kind of as a headline of a troubled country, or we can understand these are actually just places where God is moving 
And we actually even have an opportunity to be part of it here in California through our prayers or through relationships with missionaries that are working there or giving or whatever it might be. But um, that's, I think, the key for believers in these days. Lots of times it feels like we're losing ground, you know, as Christians, Mm -hmm. but we're not. You know, the Lord is taking ground, and a lot of that is happening uh, on the mission field. Mm. That is so encouraging to hear, Pastor John Chubik, because I I, I, real, I resonate with what you said. I mean, we, we've been praying for uh, believers in Ukraine and Russia. We've been praying for them in Afghanistan, you know, for in China, all these places where it seems like uh, there's so much, you know, war and, and, and frustration. And then at the same time here in the U.S., we see a lot more discrimination against people of our mm-hmm. Christian faith. And, and it kind of makes it uh, feel a little almost hopeless, you know, in terms of sharing the faith. But the good news of the gospel is still good news, and people need to hear it. Amen. Uh, t- could you talk just a little bit about the short term, especially around here? Because I know that in our congregation, our pastors will say, look, the ministers of this church, we have pastoral staff, but the ministers mm-hmm. are everybody who's a member of the church. You know, we all have a responsibility Mm -hmm. for evangelism, for teaching, things like that. Talk about what that looks like from your vantage point, Pastor John Chubik, uh, missions right here at home. Yeah, well, I mean, of course, there's mission fields all over, all the way around us. You know, uh, a couple of years ago, um, we took a group to Haiti, you know, and Haiti's a very troubled place, very dangerous right right now. And, um, one of the guys that was on that team, you know, uh, he had grown up in the city of Watts and grew up there. It was a part of his testimony is coming out of the gangs when he became a Christian and these different things. So, but after we were in Haiti and all the troubles and, and things like that, you know, he just said to me, he said, you know, man, if God can move in Haiti, he can certainly move in Watts. And so he came back and planted a church in the heart of Watts. And, and, you know, so it, you don't have to go over the ocean somewhere. And God's done a, a wonderful work there. And we have other missionaries here at home that, you know, they work in the jails or they work. Um, yeah, I, I mean, we have a lot that are chaplains for different situations, prison chaplains, jail chaplains, or um, they get involved with youth, you know, and, and some of the troubled places. We, we have programs where uh, people are going in and um, getting involved in, in different schools and different contexts and things like that. So, um, yeah, I mean, God's moving, and the big thing for each of us is to just kind of find our part in that. Yeah, You know, yeah. for some of us, you know, we'll be involved in things kind of overseas, but for some of us on Mission Field, yeah, it's right here at home. I love it. I love it. Well, Pastor John Chubik, we are grateful for the work that you do, obviously, with uh, Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa in terms of leading their uh, the, the the missions ministry, but also with this upcoming event that's happening the 4th, 5th, 6th, and 7th of January, the Calvary Chapel Missions Conference. Uh, we've got the link for missions.cccm.com up at the thebottomlineshow.com. I encourage our bottom line listeners to check out the Check out the website, learn more about the speakers and the schedule, and see how God would have you participate in any or all of the days of this outstanding event. Pastor John Chubik, thank you. God bless you, and I appreciate you being with us today here on The Bottom Line Show. Thank you so much, Roger. God bless you as well. Thank you. 
Well, check out this conference. It's going to be a good one, and I highly recommend that uh, more churches get involved in more proactive missions uh, during 2023. Hey, let's take a quick break, and when we come back, Tom Rainer and his team have put together uh, some interesting statistics about churches, who attends them, who doesn't, how big is the average church in America here in 2023, and what are five trends for those churches? Well, let me give you a little encouragement just to kind of tease this. If your church has 250 members or less, you are now the majority and a huge majority at that. How many American churches are down to an average attendance of 250 or less? And why is it not necessarily a bad thing? We'll talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. You know the old expression, a picture is worth a thousand words. Well, if you're an expectant mom and you go to a pregnancy health center that is in partnership with Preborn, one picture can say way more than that. And that picture I'm talking about is an ultrasound picture. Every donation that goes to Preborn goes to providing ultrasounds for women who are expecting children and they want to know what all of their options are. When you call 833-850-BABY right now, you give a gift of $28 that provides one ultrasound. But if you give a gift toward the purchase of an ultrasound machine, now that's a $15,000 investment, but every ultrasound machine can do 250 ultrasounds per year and last a minimum of 10 years. That's 2,500 ultrasounds available to women right now. Think of all the babies, thousands of babies' lives that will be saved by your donation to Preborn right now. Call 833-850-BABY. 833-850-BABY. That's 833-850-2229. Make your best donation right now. $50, $100. Maybe you want to give $15,000. It's completely tax deductible. We've had a couple of bottom line listeners step up and do just that. 833-850-BABY. 833-850-BABY. That's 833-850-2229. Call Preborn right now. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and uh, uh, John Chubik has been my guest today here on the Bottom Line. He's the, uh, this half hour anyway. Uh, John is the uh, mission pastor at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, and uh, we've been talking about uh, the mission conference that starts tomorrow and continues all the way through Saturday, and I believe uh, Teresa and our marketing team are going to be there as well, so we'd love to meet you as well over at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, which is actually not too far from the Bottom Line Show studios. Um, you know, it's interesting when you look at uh, what the organization churchanswers.com does, Tom Rainer used to be with Lifeway Research, and he kind of moved into an emeritus role at Lifeway, and now he studies what happens in churches. And this is something that is fascinating. Years ago, in full-time pastoral ministry, we uh, had uh, meeting after meeting after meeting after meeting. What did our church look like? We were a church that at one point had a membership of nearly 1,700 people. We were down to about 900, and of those, half of them were active. We had two campuses. We had five services. So, you know, when you start dividing it up pretty soon, we realized we were a bunch of small churches all cohabiting in one <laughs> church, calling ourselves one church. And I'm happy to report that finally the church kind of figured out that each campus should be its own church plant, and that's what they're they're doing actually starting this Sunday at Elisa Vio Christian Church and Lutheran Church of the Cross in Laguna Woods. But I remember looking at a lot of the statistics, and there were there were churches that had, you know, the, 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 as far as the worship size and style, a church that was under 100 was called a family church. It was typically a pastor who was a volunteer, definitely bivocational or co-vocational, and they had fewer than 100 people worshiping, which could have been, you know, eight to 10 families of people. And then you had the larger churches that were maybe 100 to 199. Then they had the churches that were 200 to 350 or 400. And then there was a kind of a over 400 type of threshold. And then you had the mega churches that were well over 1,000. 
as of the end of 2022, here at the start of 2023, the average church attendance is now 250 or less. 92% of all churches in the U.S. have an average worship attendance of 250 or less. Let me say that again. 92% of all churches in the U.S. have average worship attendance of 250 or less. And I'm talking 250 total at your church. If your church is worshiping more than 250 people, you are now not necessarily a mega church, but you are in the top 8% of churches in America. If you were a smallish church, like my former church, Lutheran Church of the Cross used to be, we could get 250 people over four services on a Saturday night and three Sunday morning services. Uh, that was pre-pandemic. I mean, afterwards, we've got a lot of seniors. They worship online now. But it's interesting because that's one of the biggest trends that you've seen in the church world right now. And here's the deal. The, the uh, uh, standard congregations are 92%. As far as the larger churches go, though, well, this is one of the developments that Tom Rayner and his team have discovered, and I, I think it's important for us to take a look at it. Number one, you're going to see a migration to neighborhood churches and rural churches. Now, the majority of people who attend church in the U.S. today attend a megachurch. They attend a megachurch that's got 25, 35, 40,000 people attending, and I, I don't want to say you get lost at a church like that, but it's pretty easy to just kind of check in, you know, duck in, see a few people and duck out. My, uh, the migration toward neighborhood and rural churches is, quite frankly, just because, well, during the quarantine, more people wanted to not have to drive as far, didn't want to, have to travel that much. That makes a lot of sense. But also a lot of people were saying, hey, I want a smaller group. I want to be able to know the people I go to church with. That's huge, number one. Number two, this is huge. Uh, larger churches have found that they are growing by actually getting smaller. Here's what I mean by that. The mega church, the huge Baptist church or evangelical non-denominational church of yesteryear that had 25, 30, 40,000 people worshiping on a Sunday or on a, over a weekend has now become the multi-site church. And they understand something very important. You take a church like Saddleback, for example. Pastor Rick Warren recently stepping away, moving into kind of an emeritus role there. Saddleback knew 10, 15 years ago that the future of their growth was going to be multi-sites. Saddleback Anaheim, Saddleback Irvine, Saddleback Tustin, that, that type of thing. This has been going on for the past 20 years. Almost all of the largest churches in America grew not by getting the best entertainment and the best laser light show and the best rock and roll band, but by finding multi-site campus pastors and basically spreading out. And I think that's a biblical model. Rather than having one church with 50,000 people, why not have 10 churches, well, even 10 churches with 5,000 people, 20 churches with 2,500, you get the idea. Third, if you are in a standard church with 250 or less people, uh, Tom Rainer's research indi indicates that the number of people ne ne needed to make positive change in your church is exactly one. Seriously. <laughs> Uh, the, this is a comment from an article that uh, Tom wrote about this. He said, I prayed for five visitors to come to my church and 10 of them came. I was shocked and so were the people in my small church. I have renewed zeal for what God calls me to do. I listened to and read everything you guys put out. I complained that no one's doing anything to help our church. And then I said, wait a minute, that means me. 
<laughs> I need to start. Can you imagine what would happen at every church in America if one person in every congregation prayed that five people would come to worship at their church? The visitors. I mean, if you're worshiping 100 people a week and five people show up as visitors, you just increase your attendance by 5%. And if you're smaller and that many people show up, you get the idea. Third, or fourth rather, standard churches now have opportunities to educate and train their own members. More and more people in the church are saying, if we're looking for new pastors, leaders, teachers, we're raising them up. A dear friend of mine and her husband pastor a church in the Nashville area. They're starting a college. <laughs> Literally, it's got accreditation the whole nine yards. Starting a college to train and equip Christian leaders. That's starting at a local church level. That's not starting on a huge denomination. And finally, the fifth trend to watch in 2023 is that evangelicalism and evangelism is returning to many standard churches. Small churches, smallish churches, now have to realize that the standard is the 250 member or less church. And for all the times you have been the guy who's in the shadow of megachurch down the street and said, well, we're going to do our thing, but, well, they've got the youth program. Yeah, they've got the singles group. Yeah, they've got the couples ministry. Instead, the local church is saying, hey, what are we called to do as the local church? We don't have to have huge numbers here. We are the norm, 250 or less. I think these numbers are so powerful, especially as we talk about missions this hour the mission of going into all the world and preaching the gospel. What does that mean for us in the body of Christ here in 2023 with regard to church attendance? I'll talk about that coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Well, Dennis Wilson is with me today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh, 800-696-9970 or go to wilson-financial.com. There are a lot of people who have been really taking a bath when it comes to stocks this year. Stock market off 25% in some segments. But yet you have a new program that's really designed to help somebody in that situation earn some of that loss back. It's obviously designed to do exactly that. It's a very limited offer on a 16% guaranteed return on your account in an account that in the next two years can never go down. It is a great vehicle to help people who have lost money because of the way the market is. But there is a time limit, is there not, Dennis Wilson? People have to act now. The 4th of January, you have an additional, I think, 30 or 60 days to get the funds in because some of these IRA accounts take a while to move. But yes, the initial application and declaration that you want to start the account needs to be signed by 1423. Well, this is a golden opportunity. Go to wilson-financial.com, 800-696-9970, or go to kbrightradio.com forward slash Wilson Financial. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh talking about mission this half hour and uh, encouraging you to check out Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa's mission conference. It starts tomorrow, uh, goes through all the way through Saturday. Mission.cccm.com is the website. We've got that up at thebottomlineshow.com. Taking a walk through an article from the Church Answers website, churchanswers.com, featuring Tom Rayner, formerly of uh, uh, Lifeway Christian Store. Tom does great research in the five major developments for churches with attendance under 250. Um, migration to neighborhood churches, larger churches are growing by getting smaller and having satellite campuses. One person in a standard church can lead revival. Standard churches now have opportunities for education and training their own members. Instead of looking to seminaries, they can uh, cull from within. And evangelism is returning to the standard church. But I wanted to talk about that standard for just a moment here. 
the idea that we have a great commission, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every tribe and tongue, every nation, baptize those who believe that good news in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Mark 16, Matthew 28, that's what our calling is. I have a feeling that over the past 20 years, if we're honest, a lot of us in church ministry have looked to ways to build our churches without going and making disciples. How do we get attendance up? How do we draw the young people? And we wound up, I don't want these to call it sheep stealing, but I think the, the idea was our growth was rather transferring members from other churches into our churches rather than going and making disciples. And the influence on the culture is where we, that's the scoreboard. The reality is we don't see as many people baptizing. I I was part of a church for many years that might baptize five to 10 people a year. This is a church with a membership of 800. The idea, brothers and sisters, is that we have a great commission and the urgency is now. Rather than spending too much time focusing on the political or even the legal ramifications, what happens when our faith is discriminated against, that's important to stand up for. But job one for us in the body of Christ is to go and make disciples. And when you think about it, it doesn't take everybody doing all the work. If your church has 100 members and one person prays for five to visit, I mentioned last segment, that's a 5% increase. If my Harold Leesman, Dr. Harold Leesman was the founding pastor of the church that I remember coming to Christ at when I was a young boy and then a, a high school student in college age. And Harold used to have a slogan. He said, keep this in mind as you're going into the world every day. Each one win one. Not that anything you do is going to, you can't strategically say, I'm going to win this person to faith, but live your life in such a way that if every person led someone to Christ, we could double the church size in one year or less. Each one reach one with the good news. That is the good news indeed, and that is the bottom line.